Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and it's a victorious welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, certainly if you're an England fan anyway, after that superb all-round team performance, actually, to square the series one-all, or at least make it level, after that tremendous effort to bowl the West Indies out today in 70 overs and win the match at Old Trafford by 113 runs. And inevitably, the man of the match was Ben Stokes. And we're going to hear from him in a bit. But it was almost a sort of superhuman effort by him, never mind his skill, the stamina to do what he did in that game was remarkable, Simon. 254 runs for once out. And three for 59. And also today, you know, an absolutely vital wicket with West Indies resisting, fine century partnership between Brooks and Blackwood. And then Stokes got bowled that short ball into Blackwood just before T, gloved it through to Butler, who ran forward and dived and took a, a vital catch. But Stokes inducing the error from Blackwood, who was looking really good, actually. I mean, there was just a thought, just a little thought there, if he'd batted for another hour or so of a heroic West Indies victory. I know it was a, a long shot, but he played really well again after his his fine 90-odd uh, down in Southampton last Sunday. And, and Stokes turned the game England's way again. So, you know, not just with the bat in a thrilling morning session, but also with the ball. Although, you know, credit to the other bowlers as well, uh, Wokes and Broad making the, the early inroads which sort of laid the platform for England's victory. And it's worth pointing out that that wicket of Blackwood was three balls after he bowled a short ball to the same batsman who'd forced it down towards the long-off boundary and there was no mid-off fielder. So Stokes, from round the wicket, haired after it, put in a 70-metre sprint to the line and as the ball was about to trickle over the rope, put in a full-length dive, flicked it back inside the rope, picked it up, hurled it back. Unfortunately, not only did he touch the rope in the process of flicking the ball back, but also the batsman ran four. So it was wasted effort. But just just think of the way it must have inspired the England team to see that sort of commitment from their premier all-rounder, where he'd already bowled, I don't know, seven or eight overs, maybe more, and obviously had given so much effort with the bat as well. I mean, if you if you think about it, he was on the field virtually for the whole game. He came in when England batted in the 31st over and was out in the 142nd, so he batted for 111 overs 
for his 176 out of 162. So he wasn't on the field in England's innings for 50 overs. Then obviously he opened in England's second innings and was not out at the end and was on the field for virtually all of the uh, England fielding. So apart from 50 overs in the match, he's been on the field the entire time. And, you know, it's, it's, it, he is bionic. We said this the other day. He's, he's superhuman. Well, we're living in the time of a, of a special cricketer, and you know it's great fun for spectators, for, for commentators, whatever, to you know to, to watch him play cricket. He is a, a, a huge talent, and he's you know, one of the reasons why you know, it, it, all, it is always interesting watching this England cricket team play. And one, one of the other reasons, of course, is that they are fallible. So they have bad weeks and then good weeks, and you never quite know what you're going to get next, which you know actually makes it really, really fascinating. Because if you were just flawed like that you know great australian side in the in the in the 90s and into the 2000s i remember you know australia i also got the impression you go to australia or australia came here as oh yeah i mean we're going to win by this time and it was you know in a way it was great for them they loved it but there was a sort of an element of predictability about it i think one of the the interesting things about this england side is you know it is quite unpredictable we don't quite know what's going to happen next and you know all eyes on on friday and and they're deciding Test match in this series, which is great actually for the series. You know, I think the series has been, you know, almost as good as we could have hoped for at the start of it. You remember we did that preview podcast. We was, you know, what's going to happen? Uh, I remember saying, you know, the most important thing is that we get sort of cut and thrust cricket. We've had two matches that have gone to the fifth day. We don't quite, we didn't quite know how they were going to turn out, and the series is level at at one all with so much to play for from Friday onwards. Yeah, uh, and they've you know they've been such competitive matches. Uh, one of the things we've talked about uh, a little bit is you know how good is Ben Stokes now, and how does he uh, compare to the, the great all rounders? And he's made a bit of a kind of surge ahead uh, of himself actually in the last year or so. I just looked up some stats, uh, and in the last two years, he's played twenty three tests, scored eight hundred and twenty runs, an average of forty five point five and taken 58 wickets at 28.18. So using your criteria of judging all-rounders, the difference between the batting average and the bowling average, it currently in those two years is 17.31, the differential between the batting and bowling. And that compares with, say, Garfield Sobers, regarded as the greatest all-rounder of all time, his average differential over his career, 23.74. Stokes in the last two years, 17.31. So if you just take his form over the last two years, he's sort of creeping up on Sobers, although Sobers' batting average of 57 was ridiculously good. Stokes' batting average overall is under 40. So, you know, he's still got a way to go. But I felt that the way he's batted in this game, actually... Was a, was a not a transformation exactly, but certainly an evolution. In the first test, he got out twice in the sort of forties, trying to be a bit funky, maybe getting a little bit frustrated by the way the West Indies bowled to him outside off stump, and and doing a bit of a kind of mirror image of Kevin Peterson walking across outside off and trying to work it to leg and getting out. And the West Indies tried that again in this test match, and it didn't work because he was able to to suck up, to to absorb that sort of period in his innings and not get too uh, creative and see that kind of sticky period through. Then he really sort of spread his wings when he got to 100 and and obviously made a colossal score, 176. So 
I think he and he and he that that innings lasted over three hundred balls. The first time he's ever batted that long. I've looked down his list of other hundreds, and he's never batted as long as even two sixty or two seventy balls before. So he was quite happy actually with uh, the way that he was able to bat for more than three hundred balls. I think he was happier about that than actually making a hundred in a way. And in a way, that says to me something. That says. Right, I've I've almost made this uh, evolution to being a frontline batsman. I've got the skill, but now I've got the mental aptitude and application to go with it. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a hugely disciplined innings. And then, of course, he comes out in the second innings and scores what was the fastest half century by an England opening batsman. Of course, he, he opened last night and continued on uh, this morning. So, he, you know, he's got that little record as well. I mean, that, I mean, the inning's obviously completely different. And even that was remarkable. You know, the fielder's on the boundary and he, he played two or three uh, remarkable strokes, bashing it back down the ground. And also one sort of open-faced uh, glide down towards third man. Tremendously skillful stroke from a, a short ball. Uh, he's right at the peak of his powers, you talk about his his batting average in Test cricket. I mean, it doesn't look that great to be honest, but you've got to put everything else in context, which is the fact he's taken 156 Test wickets as well at, at 31. His batting average is, is 38.58, and but you imagine that he's he's going to push that up. You know, we always talk about you know players of the past, and you make comparisons. Where, where do you think he compares with? Ian Botham. I mean, I'm presumably what we would say is that he's, he's a better batsman than Ian Botham, but not you know nowhere near as good a bowler. Although he does have that sort of Botham-esque ability to, to conjure a wicket from nothing, make things happen. No, you're quite right. Well, over the last 12 months, in 13 Test matches, his average is 59.38 with the bat, so close to 60. That's Steve Smith territory. Mm. So that's tremendous. Botham would never have uh, been as, as prominent with the bat as that. But then, in a way, Botham was a slightly different cricketer because he put so much energy and you know commitment into his bowling and he bowled long spells and he was a front-line bowler. So in a way, he couldn't ever give quite the same dedication, mentally or physically, to batting. He played in a, a more swash, swashbuckling style generally, although I do remember him actually blocking out for almost four hours for a 50 to say, the game against Pakistan in the mid 80s but generally he was more of an attacking batsman you know throughout his innings and so his batting average 33 probably wasn't actually as good as as his batting really deserved 14 test hundreds both them but his bowling was really his his premier suit and so they are slightly different cricketers but I think that Stokes still has this impact with the ball, doesn't he? He's still able to mm. conjure wickets, as you mentioned. And I think he's found a role uh, with the ball now uh, on these slightly flat wickets. With England got so many skillful seam bowlers, Stokes is the the enforcer or the the, the wild card who comes in round the wicket, bowls short into the ribs, has the stamina and strength to sustain that, and doesn't mind if he goes for a few runs either, and and can keep that going for sort of incredible for sort of 10 or 11 overs so you know he is a different sort of cricketer to to, to both them I think ultimately you'd have to say he's probably going to be a greater cricketer than both them because his batting will so much set up games and he will take crucial wickets there's not much in it and I'm sure I'll get a, a nasty uh, phone call from <laughs> from beef he's saying what are you talking about Yoza you know you you bald-headed twat or something but uh, but, but, you know, beefy, wonderful cricketer, fantastic character, a match winner par excellence. But maybe Stokes more of a stayer 
you know, more of a, a, a sort of real resilient character and will probably have a longer, you know, Beefy with his bowling, it sort of it slightly went off the boil, you know, for a few reasons, one of which was he didn't really apply himself to his fitness that well. Uh, so, you know, in, in his bowling became a little bit less potent, you know, towards sort of the middle and end of his career. Whereas Stokes, you feel, with with his sort of fitness ethic, will probably maintain his, his bowling longer, longer into his career. Anyway, let's just hear from the man of the moment. Obviously, it's gone well for me, this game, but there's so many different periods throughout the game where somebody's done something to, to really swing this game back towards us. And, you know, I keep saying that new ball spell, the second new ball from Brody Wokes, he really did change that game back towards us because West Indies were looking set to get close to our score, but... How they managed to bowl there and take those quick wickets, honestly, I, I think is a massive area which allowed us to win this game. You know, we're so committed towards each other and understanding that, um, you know, the hard, work, the hard work that you do put in outside of your skills to do with cricket is obviously going to benefit yourself, which obviously is going to benefit the team. So, I mean, it's a great place. It's a great environment for the, all these new, uh, young and inexperienced guys at test level to come into. Um, and it's really going to benefit them going forward. You know, it's an exciting place to be at right now. He's one of the senior players, and um, you know, it's amazing to see all these young guys be, you know, successful out and at the highest level possible. And um, you know, I'm really pleased for Dom that obviously he's gone away in the winter, and you know, he's he worked out an area where he felt like he could get better at, and he's he's absolutely nailed it to be honest. And then obviously he's reaping the rewards um, with his last two knocks. So, um, a really good 50 when we needed it at Southampton and obviously a brilliant 100. We sort of want to pave the way for, you know, England cricketers in 20 years' time. Um, and, you know, it's not obviously all about, you know, the present. You know, obviously a big thing for us is, is taking that cap forward. Um, you know, so in 20 years' time to, to hopefully still have that motto floating around the dressing room of still take, taking that cap forward. Um, you know, I hope it's still there because um, it is a big thing for us you know inspiring the next generation of cricketers um, who want to be in our position so you know we know we've obviously got a duty on the field to win games but we we also understand that we've got a big duty to um, you know to all the you know the youngsters in the country who want to aspire to be in the position that we are. Uh, well, that's Ben Stokes, England's man of the match. I think it's an interesting point you made, Yoz, actually. You, you, you can compare them as all-rounders but they're not really the same sort of cricketer, you know, Stoke stronger in batting, and both them stronger in bowling, and you know different types of of cricketers. I think it's a very good point you make. Ian Botham was an, was an opening bowler and very much a sort of number six batsman, whereas Stokes is you know he's he's a bit further up the order and he is first second change depending on where you're playing in the world. So sometimes it's unfair to make those comparisons. I mean, what I mean, the, the only conclusion you can draw is that they were two fantastic cricketers and you know it, it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch Stokes's career develop I suppose the, the big challenge ahead for him and it's the, it's the same challenge ahead for this England side is how are they going to get on in the, in the real cauldron of international test cricket and that is in India this winter if they go there there's some talk that series might be in the UAE but against India even the UAE is, will be a really tough challenge and then how Stokes get on 
how Stokes would get on in Australia the following winter, because, of course, last time in Australia, he missed out. <laughs> yes, and he won't want to be reminded of that, and he'll be you know, just champing at the bit to, to reassert himself next time. I think that the signs are quite good for England and not so good for the West Indies if we look sort of both short-term and long-term. Uh, England, in the last eight innings, have got either to close to 400 or over 400, four out of eight. Whereas the West Indies, in the last two years, have scored only once over 400 in 24 innings. So if we're thinking about the, the next test, that is an issue for the West Indies. If we're thinking about England's sort of medium to long term, the fact that they've scored 400, four out of eight, is things are going in the right direction and you'd have to say Dominic Sibley and Rory Burns uh, uh, credit to both of them for their commitment I mean less so Burns obviously because he was injured for for most of those eight tests but he's he's been a, a very important fixture for England now at the top of the order since last summer and Sibley coming through in, in this you know last few months with his second test 100 in this test match 125 overs he batted of just total wholehearted commitment, and that's what England need, isn't it? And that's what Joe Root has really emphasised as being a, a slight turning point in in the path of this team. Yeah, I and mean, they've they've said exactly what their tactics are, which is to you know do, do what it takes to get those runs, to get those four hundred runs in the first innings. I mean, Burns and Sibley at the top of the order, they are not great stylists, but they can be and have been. Very effective, and England, England won't worry how they get those runs as long as they they get them on the board. I, st- I still feel with this England side, it is an evolving side. I still feel that you know it it, it is a work in progress, and that they are still very capable of having uh, bad days with the bat. Indeed, they they had one in Southampton that that cost them a Test match against this West Indies attack. You know, it happened in New Zealand a couple of times where they didn't quite nail down what they they should have done in that test match in Mount Monganua. They didn't get enough runs. So, you know, they are fallible, but then lots of batting sides are fallible. And this West Indies side is certainly fallible. Their strength is in their bowling. And I think that this series was about, could they get enough runs? Well, they just about did in Southampton because their bowlers were able to restrict England in that first innings. Here, not so much. I mean, you know, Jason Holder was asked about whether he, he thought putting England in, the first test captain to put a side in at Old Trafford since 1993, said, yeah, our, our, our tactics were fine, our game plan was fine, we just didn't bat well enough. He said we should have made more runs in our first innings. And you, know, you look back to that fourth afternoon, West Indies were, were, were with a great chance of, of saving this test match. They were 199 for three, they were 240 for four, and then the new ball, and then it just changed the course of the match. Stuart Broad changing the course of the match. So what that brings us on to is what do England do as far as their team is concerned for the next test match? Normally, people say, oh, you know, don't change a winning side. I don't think you necessarily agree with that because there might be always little tweaks you can make. But of course, they did make four changes for this game and it's worked. They've had a very convincing victory. They dominated the match. But, you know, there are lots of very good bowlers who are not playing. I don't, I don't think you're looking at changing the batting, but... What do they do with the bowling attack? Because, you know, we have back-to-back-to-back-to-back test matches this summer. And, and Joe Root has been saying, you know, we haven't looked after our bowlers that well in the past, or perhaps as well as we could have done. So what do they do? There's Joffre Archer, there's Jimmy Anderson, there's Mark Wood, there's Jack Leach. They're all 
uh, waiting in the wings and a few others as well. But those four in particular, what do they do? Well, they've learned a lot from playing in this test match uh, because, you know, seeing how the wicket has changed and behaved, playing on a, a wicket too strips along so they know about the conditions now and they probably know or they do know which bowl is going to be effective on uh, that sort of surface uh Stuart Broad you clearly can't drop him six wickets in the match looked absolutely superb especially after that round the wicket spell in the first innings made excellent use of the new ball on uh, in both innings and he's got that height that I just think you want at Old Trafford to to exploit any uneven bounce that you're going to get on quite an abrasive kind of surface. So he's he's straight in for me. I also like the way that Chris Wokes bowled on this track. You know, again, he's quite a tall bowler, great seam position, sort of at the batsman all the time, bowls that horrible length, just short of a length, some keep low, some bounce a bit, certainly towards the end of the game. So for me, those two are rubber stamped. And then it's, do you play... Archer, Wood, or Anderson, or, or you know, or which combination of those? I think I'd play Archer, just because the West Indies look, if anything, more vulnerable to the short ball, uh, the ball with a bit of extra bounce than against the traditional English seamers. So I'd be inclined to play Archer as the third man in that attack. Uh, a little bit unlucky on Sam Curran, who has a, a, a really good influence on a game and is always at you, but I just don't feel that pitch. Had quite enough for him, even here's, though here's he, the thing on he Curran, took a couple of wickets. Here's the thing on Curran, Yoz. He's now played eight test matches in England. And guess what? He's won all of them. Every single match, England have won. Yeah. He's, he's, he's got something about him. but you know He does. But what, what, what would West Indies want to face least? least? Like. What were they least yeah. like? Well, I mean, the one thing about him is he is left arm, of course. Mm. And as we mentioned on yesterday's show as well, he, he, he just loves trying things. He'll go round the wicket and he'll try cutters and he'll go for the stumps. And he's a very attacking bowler. And, you know, he's not afraid to experiment, which is great. But I think if you had the choice of Archer as well, instead of him, I think you'd go with that. And that, that we haven't mentioned Jimmy Anderson. How does he fit into this? Well, you know, he, he's still a fantastic bowler. These balls are not swinging that much. And I just think there's, you know, he just looked a little bit, not not plain, but he looked less than really dangerous in that first test. So... Pick your most dangerous bowlers, and those for me are Archer, Wokes and Broad. It's an interesting sign of the times, Yoz, when Jimmy Anderson is available for selection and he's not picked. I mean, Broad, you know, on a, on a, say, a pitch in Sri Lanka where you're not going to get much out of it, you, you can rotate. But you're talking about Jimmy Anderson on his home ground after being rested, and they made a point of that, Jimmy Anderson's been rested, not selected for the third test match and and you know there's a there's a convincing case for for not necessarily picking him well, uh, yeah. for this game I and mean, he he will play in in games the rest of the summer you'd think <laughs> but it, it it shows perhaps where England are now or and perhaps where Jimmy Anderson is in his career as well uh, maybe you know a little bit will depend on the weather as well i hear the forecast for for manchester at the weekend isn't great so if it's going to be cloudy and a bit damp then maybe he does come into the equation Whereas if it's going to be more like today and yesterday, where it was a bit drier and, and sort of blowy and the pitch was pretty dry, you perhaps want that more aggressive type of bowler who's going to get the extra bounce. Jimmy's going to play again this summer. 
it's it may not be the right game for him to play. And I think the learnings they will have got from this this match and this track will just suggest that those taller bowls who hit the deck might just be a bit more effective. The spin department, I mean, Bess actually improved during the game. He was bowling well. Everyone's going to say, well, there's uh, only one left-hander in that West Indies side and maybe even he might get dropped, John Campbell. So isn't it better to have a left-arm spinner spinning it away from the right-handers? Yeah, probably it is. Uh, so it might be a good time to, to play Jack Leach if he's feeling confident and, and fit and so on. But I think Bess is a very valuable cricketer and I don't mind him bowling to, to right-handers if he's going to turn the ball. Of course, if they don't play Sam Curran, then that gives him less rough to work with with the left-arm over bowler. So, you know, maybe those two fit together. If Curran plays, then so does Bess. If Curran doesn't play, maybe they play Jack Leach. Yeah, I mean, it's a real outlier, that this West Indies side, because if you go back in the day, then yeah, lots of teams had lots of right-handers, but there's a you know, greater preponderance now of, of left-handers. It's actually really unusual to see a, a Test match side with so few left-handers now. It, it's, it's amazing how things have turned around. But, you know, generally speaking, the left-arm spinner will have more joy against the, the right-hand batsman, and you know, the stats bear that out. You know, the, the off-break bowlers get many more left-handers out than they get right-handers out, the, you know, the finger spinners. So there's a decision to be made. Jack Leach, his last test match was in Mount Monganui in New Zealand, and that was when New Zealand piled on a huge score. He took two for 153 from 47 overs. He played a bit in Sri Lanka, that tour that was, was called off because of covid I didn't bowl a great deal. He, he did bowl in the Team Stokes versus Team Butler match. He picked up three wickets uh, in the second innings down at, at Southampton. So you know, Leach is an option, and he's not you know, he's not let England down when he's played for them. He's taken 34 wickets in 10 Test matches, uh, an average of under 30, which is you know, very decent for a, a a finger spinner. And you know, occasionally he's, you know, he scored also scored some decent runs. That's that's quite a big decision for the. For the selectors to make, do they leave out Best? Do they bring in in Leach? You know, it's, it's not a, re- a reflection particularly on Best that much, but it you know it's, it's tactical, isn't it? A left armour against the the right handers. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Having said that, it wouldn't surprise me if we turned up on Friday and they said no, we're unchanged. We're going to play the the same side. But there has been talk of rotation this summer. So you know, does that bowling group stay together? Well, your your guess is as good as mine. Possibly not. Well, it's a nice position for the England camp to be in anyway, where they've got so many people to choose from, all of whom have perfectly reasonable claim to play in the side. And not surprisingly, the captain, the incoming captain, Joe Root, after missing the first test, was very happy with how it all turned out. He just seems to get better and better. He's, I think one thing that this game showed um, more than any other is his ability to read different situations and his adaptability, his, his versatility, you know, he can do so many different roles with the bat. Um, that first inning showed great maturity, read the situation very well. Um, and I thought him and Sibbers really did set the foundations, you know, third time in four games. Now we've got 400 plus, which is a massive step forward for this batting group and for us as a team and something to build on. Um, and he really led the way with that. And, and then, you know, you look at the rest of the game, his impact with the ball, he made something happen when, when nothing was. Um, you know, ran in and 
on a very, what seemed at that point with that old soft ball, a very flat wicket, he made things happen uh, and changed the game in, in some ways there. <laughs> and then to come out and blast it, as we've seen before, and uh, put us in a position where we could, could really be in control today. Uh, having those extra runs were very valuable. It meant that there was only really two possibilities in terms of the result and, um, and it gave us a little bit more breathing space and, and we could attack a little bit more on occasions because of it. Mr. Incredible, I suppose. Uh, I can't really think of a, a better one. He probably looks a bit like him as well, that cartoon character that knocks around. He's similar sort of shape, probably a little bit skinnier than him now, uh, but he'd probably end up looking like that. So the Mr. Incredible suits, I reckon. Start this summer having everyone fit and available um, and putting in performances previously, it, it's always going to be a challenge throughout the whole summer. Uh, but to have so many options to choose from is, is fantastic place to be and it's something that we've wanted for a long period of time and I don't think we should to moan about it at all I think it's something that we should celebrate and um, you know, it, it will be tough and it'll be tough on whoever misses out but it, it's a great place to be for us um, and something that we want to you know to be the case moving forward for a long period of time. So not surprisingly, Joe Root uh, sounding pretty content with things although he knows there's still work to do for England and I feel like you maybe that Actually, England are in a better position now. It's ironic, isn't it? But after losing that first test, now winning the second, level on points. But I feel that West Indies, with their batting fragility and their bowlers looking a little bit weary and perhaps less really eligible alternatives, have more problems in England. One interesting thing, though, would be, Oz, if West Indies won the toss on Friday and it was a clearish day, they batted first and... You know, made use of a decent first day pitch, got some runs on the board, 320, I don't know, 350, something like that, and see if they could put some pressure on this England batting side and make, make them back last, make them chase some runs in the final innings with possibly um, wrecking Cornwall in the side, uh, you know, an extra spin option uh, along with Roston Chase and some of their pace bowlers as well, where they could just turn the screw on, on England a bit. Uh, if England bat first and it's a good surface and West Indies have to bat last, then you think it might be quite tricky for, for West Indies. As, as, as I said earlier in this podcast, you never quite know uh, what's around the corner with this England side. They did, of course, come back from 1-0 down against South Africa in the winter and played very well in South Africa, and that's what they're going to be required to do in this series against uh, the West Indies. And it's a very strange series where we've got these short turnaround times and West Indies and, and England are all sort of holed up in a hotel in in Old Trafford. And uh, West Indies will be looking forward to their charter flight home uh, <laughs> shortly after the game. They've been here since early June and, uh, you know, they've had to do everything on the pitch because there's not been much for them to do, you know, off the pitch. Normally a tour of England, you get a chance to go out, meet people and social occasions, but not here. So, uh, yeah, in fact, it's, it's actually going to be a fascinating game because and the cricket's been compelling enough so far. It certainly kept us interested. West Indies got one more big push in them it's great they've, they've come. It's been fantastic. They've been great ambassadors for the game. They played some decent cricket. England outplayed them here, and they they did enough to um, keep England down in, in Southampton. It's been, you know, it's been, after all that time without cricket, it's been you know a good couple of weeks really good good for good for test cricket good for the game some good performances. Uh, we need what we need is one really dramatic tight test match to finish it all off. Well, let's hope uh, the last test will be as riveting as the first two. It starts on Friday. We'll be reviewing the first day's play on Friday night after Simon Mann has had a little break. But probably you're still in the bubble, are you? Yep. 
were allowed out for one piece of exercise per day over the next three days. Small riches after being um, locked down in Old Trafford for five days. Well, don't overdo it, and that gives you more time, of course, to read this issue of the Cricketer magazine, this month's issue now, because you haven't had time for the last few days. Subscribe at www.thecricketer.com forward slash subscribe. Lots of entertaining reading there to keep you going over the next three or four days. Thanks very much for listening. We'll speak to you on Friday. Podcast Network.